Let me read you the scripture. I think you just experienced this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Sitting on a throne. I had a vision of that while, he, while we were singing. He was high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Wow. Kind of interesting, that last part of it, because we're going to talk about that today. The whole earth is full of his glory. That will be. It's going to happen. We're in the process of it. You know, so many prophets and life itself, circumstances of many, many people right now, are all pointing to one thing. We have entered the promised land. It's there. Life has changed for so many people, and we have not been this way before. We've got so many change of life issues going on right now, promotions, marriages, uh, all kinds of stuff, businesses, and it's all happening right now with so many different people. And you look for those sorts of witnesses, uh, at least I do, to see what God is doing. And you, you will find what God is doing by just looking around. So he's doing something special right now. And I'll keep hearing these prophets. You know, I mean, prophets that are even dead. And like the Bible says, and yet still speak. Uh, like Bob Jones, you know, he, he, there was one. He was speaking at this time. He says, you know, we're, we're entering into a time when there's going to be this massive harvest, which probably is the great harvest at the end of things. A billion souls are going to be saved. So what did he say needed to be done? The Joshua's of our day need to rise up. Well, that's a promised land thing. Joshua. And by the way, Joshua it was 80 years old at that time. Wasn't that right, Billy? 80? At that time of entering the promised land, he was an old man. Plus the young men. They need to rise up. Uh, I heard um, Bob Hain- uh, no, uh, Bill Hannon the other day. Same thing. The church, he says, is now in the promised land. We're at Jericho. And we're, we are fighting against God's enemies now. Of course, it's not people. It's principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness and high places. It's, it's spiritual things. But they're real. And right now, I see, I see people in this church. They've, you know, we went running to the, through the door, yahoo, and then boom, there is an open door, but there are many adversaries. And we kind of went through the Sunday school this morning talking about that. And then we come to church this, uh, up here, and, and the worship was all about that. Um, the Sunday school guys, did y'all kind of get a little affirmation as to what we've just been talking about? That was amazing. God is definitely moving. Now, <clears throat> this entering into the promised land, we're going to talk about it some more. I, I think that, you know, this is, this is not something that's about to happen. It is happening. It has happened, and now we're in the process of finding out the reality of it. Uh, it's been going on for over a year. It literally is the calling of the church at the end time. The last chronos, the last period of time. That's the Greek word, chronos. The last period of time is the church entering into what the church should be, the fullness of Christ. Entering into the promised land of God. And we'll end the age with this statement. The kingdoms of this world 
had become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And we are a part of that army of God that he is using to make that happen. So we're, we're right there. Now, uh, what does it all point to? This last move of God. If I can say it's about a lot of things, but I can for sure say it's about this one thing. It's about the glory of God. Isaiah saw it when he entered in to the closest you can be with God. And what did he see? The glory of God. The whole earth being full of it. That's interesting. He can see the whole earth is full of the glory of God when he's right there next to God. You can see your perspective completely changes. So we uh, went to Los Angeles here uh, about a month ago. Has it been a month? It has been a month. Four weeks ago. Wow. Time passes fast. And that was one of the things that sort of came up. Um, the glory of God, what the issues of life, people with circumstances of life, the stations of life that we find ourselves in, what's it all about? It's all about the glory of God. How does this become the glory of God, whatever you're in? And this revelation kind of hit me while I was there. And I'll give it to you like I gave it to them. Glory happens when the kingdom of God invades a life. When the kingdom of God comes, then the result of that is the glory of God. They go together. The kingdom of God is the basilia. That's the, the Greek word. It is the rulership of God. When it comes, as Kittle says, it is a cosmic catastrophe because the, the current state of affairs is going to change. What has been will now be ruled by something else, God. And the way it was will probably change because it's probably not the way God wants it to be. You realize there's, there's no sick people in heaven? Not one. You find them down here? All over the place. But when the kingdom of God comes, that stuff changes. You think there's fighting up in heaven? No. As a matter of fact, we are told to pray this thing in. You all, so many of you were raised Catholic. I didn't realize this until I did a Catholic funeral one time. I thought I was really doing something kind of new. I said, okay, let's all say the Lord's Prayer together. I thought, no, that'll blow them away. They all knew it. They were trying to th- what is the Lord's Prayer? You remember the Lord's Prayer? The first thing it says is this, thy kingdom come, and thy will be done, right? And that is an interesting word there, thy kingdom come. It's not like, oh, please, if you want to, maybe. No, no, no. It is the, the, the word means to, it's like imperative. Come with force. The kingdom of God literally attacks the kingdoms that are not of God, and it overcomes them. It overcomes them. And we're supposed to be with that overcoming process. We are all called to overcome. It's also interesting in the Lord's Prayer that it ends with this. For thine is the kingdom and the glory. So when the kingdom comes, bam, what results in all of that is the glory of God. And the whole earth, as Isaiah saw, is going to be full 
of his glory. Because that kingdom that he, we're speaking of will fill the earth. Daniel saw it as a stone cut without hands. It will fill the earth. And we're living in the day where that is being worked out as we speak. And we're going to get to see it. We're the witnesses of all this. So we are supposed to do a couple of things. We're supposed to pray it in. And then we're supposed to live it. And then we're supposed to be witnesses of it. Okay? And so that the glory of God, every issue out there in life, the reason it is the way it is, is so that somehow that issue, that life, that person can be used by God to point to the glory of God because his kingdom is coming. Now, what is the glory of God? This Greek word is doxa. We get the word doxology out of it. I'm sure you all have heard of that word before. Doxa, the glory. Kittles defines it this way. The divine glory comes to expression in God's works, the acts that he does. So the expression of the glory is when God does something. We see it. Doxa, glory, now you get this, I like this. Glory is the divine nature. You, you say a lot of things about God. God is holy, right? God is love. It's the nature of God. God is glorious as well. Doxa is the divine nature of God. There, I mean, completely through God is that right there, is glory. And it becomes the reality of God. In other words, at some point, you have to come to this moment, behold your God. There he is. He's as real as it gets. You know what? And you, and most of you probably have had that moment in your life where you would even be in church. I wasn't going to church when I ran into the reality of God. And boy, changed my life that day. Right then, my life changed forever. Has not been the same ever since. Things changed when the glory of God came upon my life. And you really have to see it visibly. Sometimes you can. But it doesn't matter if I can see it with these physical eyes or not. It's real. Or if I can hear it. You know, part of the glory of God is the way he speaks. He says his voice is like the sound of many thunders. It like fills the sound spectrum. I have heard that voice one time in my life. It's the glory of God. But you know what? That was one time. I could still hear his voice in a secret, quiet way. Not like that. But it's still the glory of God. Because it, it is God. So we're going to see that coming on. Now, like I say, we're supposed to pray it in. We're supposed to pray it in. Isn't that interesting that when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, he opens it up with that. Here's how you pray. First prayer request. Other than our Father who art in heaven, first prayer request, your kingdom come. From that point forward, everything else matters and makes sense. But until that comes, nothing makes sense. It's just random. So I want to show you some stuff that's where this is actually taking place and where we're going. Look over at Psalm 90. Um, where's Patrick? Is he here? 
Did he leave? He went to the where? Oh, as he might. I gave him this scripture. He did a, a funeral the other day. I use this scripture at funerals, <laughs> which is interesting. But I want to give you what it's really talking about today. Psalm 90. If you look at the top uh, of your caption, it talks about the eternity of God in Psalm 90. It is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. So Psalm 90 is a prayer. And I just said that what we need to do about the kingdom is pray it in. Live it, and then be a witness to it. You're going to see this happen with this man right here, Moses, the man of God. In verse 15, Moses says this, Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That is a, an amazing little set of verses there. Number one, we said that the glory of God is evidenced by his works. And in verse 16, it says that, let your works appear to your servants and your glory to their children. We'll get back to that later. But work, his works, his acts in history produce his glory right then. Now, look at verse 15. The interesting thing about that. Like I say, I, I, uh, this, this preaches well at a funeral. When someone just died, you know, make us glad according to the days in which you afflicted us. You know, how long has this gone on? But how long did it go on? How long did God afflict the people of Moses' day, do you suppose? So he lived through something, did he not? Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us. And then let the result of all that be your work. The acts of God and the glory in which is produced by that. And to let the beauty of the Lord be upon us all. Well, look over with me to Exodus 33. Let's, let's look at the, uh, the history of this, of this prayer and of this experience that Moses had. Exodus 33. There are lessons to be learned in the time that we are living today concerning what's ahead of us and what's, what we're living at, from looking at what they learned going into the promised land in the Old Testament. The Bible says that all those things that those people experienced were written for our edification. Did you know that? The New Testament says all that stuff that went on in the Old Testament was written, it was, chrono, uh, it was put down in the paper so that you, the people of this day, can read it and understand because it applies to your life today. There are spiritual lessons that to be learned from what these people lived out. So here's one of the things they learned. If, if, there was, if there is a spiritual promised land, let's look at what happened when they went into the physical promised land. And that was with Moses. Now we're going to pick it up in verse 33. We've been camping here a long time, so I'll just cut to the chase here. 
The people of Israel had been delivered from Egypt for the specific purpose of taking them into the promised land. God had promised these guys that they would have a promised land. He promised Abraham that. And 400 years later, they're actually fulfilling the promise of God. So they're leaving Egypt in captivity, and they're, they're now in the wilderness getting a, getting a covenant with God, you know, the Ten Commandments and all that. All they had to do was wait for 40 days for Moses to get back down, and they were on their way. And you know what happened? They decided it was, they were Hispanic. It was party time! Was that a cheap shot? No, that's real. You guys partied like nobody else. Uh, so, you know, bring out the keg and I'll just party. <laughs> Whew, getting deeper. So, they did. And they, and they took all the gold and the, the, the treasures of Egypt that God had given them and made them a golden calf so they could worship that faith. Here comes Moses down from the mountain. We got these Ten Commandments written by the hand, the finger of God. And he sees what goes on. I mean, it's just, he's completely miffed at what he sees. Throws the tablets down, breaks them. And there was a big hoorah, you know. And he says, whoever's on God's side come over here. And, and the Levites came over there. And that's what sealed their fate. They became the ministers of God because of that right there. They were for God instead of for the people. And God used them to kill a few thousand people. Great day. This is an Al Houghton kind of story. So, you know, a lot of people got napalm that day. And he, he took, he took those, those, those stones of tablets and he crushed them and put them in water and it turned into red, like blood red. Kind of symbolizing the blood of the covenant. And he made them drink it. Interesting. And so it's a total disaster is my point. They sinned. And there's no doubt about it. And they got busted too. They couldn't hide this sin. It was known to all. And so it stopped the train from running. You know, we were going to the promised land, but here we are stuck at Sinai because people messed up. And then Moses begins to intercede for the people and, and ask God, you know, don't, don't stop it. Do what you promised. And God heard him say, okay, I'm going to do it. You go on into the promised land, but it's going to be without me. And Moses kept on pushing him. He said, don't send us up there without you. I don't want to go. If you're not going, I don't want to go. I'd rather die in the wilderness than not be with you. This guy was pretty daggum smart. So then he ends up in chapter 33, verse 15. He says what I just said. If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then can it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight? except that you go with us. So we shall be separate, wonderful people, separate people, your people and I from all the people who are upon this earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. So they have come full circle. Think about what has happened here. God has threatened them with destruction, and then... A little higher up, you know, okay, not destroyed, but you go, I'm not going. And now at the end of all, they are right back from where they started from. They're right back to where they were before they messed up. You realize that? God said, okay, now go. And I will go with you. And I will send my angel with you. We're gonna, we're, you're gonna win. 
So we're right back to where we were, which is good news. But I love the attitude of certain people, and Moses is one of them. David's one. I, I like this attitude. When they are in one of those moments with God, instead of saying, that's good enough, they ask for more. And some of us think, well, that, that's just not fair. Oh, no, 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 no. God loves it. How many of you have kids? I see your hands. Now, I just, you know, I know you love them all the same, right? No, I have a favorite. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just throw my thunder, you do. But really, honestly, is it when, when one of your children is of the sort that wants to just sit with you or be with you, doesn't it touch your heart, really? More than the ones that don't do that? Am I being unfair? I'm being real. God's like that. If there's anybody out there that says, no, you know, God, I want more of you. He's not saying, well, you know, that's not fair to your brother. He said, okay, I'll give you more. He kind of likes it. He's like us. And that's what Moses does. And we're right back to where we started from, God. But while we're talking, I want something more. He said, okay, let's do more. And what was the more that he asked for? 18th. Show me your glory. Now, we know what glory is. It's when the kingdom of God comes into the situation. So he's asking, kind of, what he's really doing is he's living out the Lord's prayer. Let your kingdom come here now. Let's go beyond where we were. Let your kingdom come. Show me your glory. And God says, okay. And in verse 21, well, 20, he says, you can't see my face. I mean, he said, I, I want to do it. You're going to see my glory. You can't see my face because no man can look at me and live. And the Lord says, there's a place by me and you shall stand on a rock. And it'll be, my glory's going to pass by. Now, that is a place by God. We've talked about this lately. That's a wonderful place, folks. That's a special place. We actually sang of it this morning. I will enter into the holy of holies. And what do you find there? You know, back in the Old Testament, one guy, once a year, could go into the holy of holies. That's it. And if he wasn't in good shape that day, he's a dead man. So they put a rope on his, on his uh, leg so that if he fell dead, they could pull him out of there. And nobody else had to go in. And in the New Testament, Jesus has structured it so that that way to the Holy of Holies is open to anyone that will. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone will. I just told you about two kids. One wants to be with him, and the other doesn't really care. So which one's going to go into the Holy of Holies? Who's going to go into that place next to God? Those who are pushing it. Push it. I love that worship service. I mean, we we're, the invitation was to all of you. Did you enter in? Were you changed? See, when you see the glory of God, like Isaiah did, 
It will change you. It can't help but change something in you. So Moses said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go in. And I want to see your glory. We're doubling down on our bet here, God. And God says, that's great. I'm going to show you my glory. Now, I want you to hold your place there and let me show you something. What happens when you see the glory of God? Look with me at the Proverbs chapter 25, I believe. Yeah, Proverbs 25. We're coming right back here. Of course, if you have an iPhone app, it doesn't matter. The abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. <laughs> Did I say that? That's the way I really feel. Get you a book called the Bible. That must be the Holy Spirit that just said that. I mean, I never thought about that before. I think it might be real. I think everybody's listening to everything we say. You think they agree with you? You think the people at Apple agree with what you're doing right now? I don't think so. They're antichrist. Oh, I'll get, mine's not Apple. It's, it's a, what, the other kind. You think the people at Google are any better? Really? Are you that fooled? That was free. <laughs> Proverbs 25, verse 2. Look at this. It is the glory of God to what? To conceal a matter. Isn't that interesting? Here Moses is saying, show me your glory. Now, what is the glory of God here? To conceal a matter. What do we need to conceal? What's gone on? All that stuff. All that partying. All that stuff. Go back to Exodus 34. Moses goes in, stands at that place next to God, in the cleft of the rock. Verse 534, 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. And he proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now remember, what Moses is asked to, asking him to see is his glory. So, the Lord is about to define in another way what that glory does. Okay? Is it just, it isn't just a cloud, a Shekinah cloud. There's more to it than that. It is the kingdom of God coming. Alright? So, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God. And here's what God does. He's merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Did he not just conceal a matter with those attributes? That's exactly what he did. And the blood of Jesus Christ does all of that and more. Amen. Because the blood of goats and bulls couldn't take away the conscious sense of sin. But the blood of Jesus does. I mean, it completely, it should completely change your attitude about you. Quit killing yourself with judgment. And while you're at it, quit killing your neighbor. Let's flip it. And begin to love yourself like God loves you so that you can do the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? It completely changes the landscape. And we ain't there yet. We got some ways to go there. And we're not going to do that today, by the way. But we will be doing that. Don't miss that movie. 
Okay, so that's what he's doing. He's, he's, he's the glory of the king. He's doing all this stuff. The middle of verse 7. But by no means clearing the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. So Moses made haste, bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Then he said, if I now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. Even though we are, and no doubt about it, we are stiff-necked. Still. And pardon our iniquity and sin and take us as your inheritance. And he said, behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels, wonders, such as not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. And all the people among uh, whom you are shall see the work of the Lord that produces his glory. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. With you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, enemies of the promised land. Now, my point in reading all that today, folks, is this. One of my points. God connects his glory to us taking the promised land. That's what started all of it in the first place. He took them out of Egypt to take them into the promised land. Now, they kind of had some hiccups along the way. But once they got back going with God, runs into his glory, he connects that glory. I'm going to take you into the promised land. I am going to fulfill what I said. That's part of being God. You think it's any different today? You think the glory of God that we are to see in the New Testament might be like that? It might be us, get this, fulfilling the call of God on your life. What does Jeremiah 29, 11 say to you? God has a future and a plan for you. Is it over yet? Are you living? Pam, are you still breathing? It ain't over. How about Psalm 139? How about it? He wrote all the days of your life before there were any of them. Are you still alive, Pam? Other Pam? Hey, the Pams are alive. It ain't over. Oh, well, we're not doing well. How about Romans 8, 28? Everything's working together for good. Is it? Doug, is it? Sometimes we have to be the witness to this. We pray it, we live it, and then we witness it. We tell people. We tell everybody. The kingdom of God came and is coming until it takes up my entire life. Amen? So there is a connection here. Now, I just read Psalms 90 to you. Lord, do all this according to the number of days that you afflicted us. What happens from here? We know the story. Numbers 14. He sends 12 spies into the promised land. I mean, it's like, you know, a year later. They're ready to go. They got everything they need. They've learned one of the great lessons about taking the promised land. And here's the great lesson, folks. It's not about your sin. Let that be settled in. Sin is not the absolute marker of failure. I love what Al Hatton said when he went to heaven. He had to go twice to really get it all, I think. And what did he say? Nobody up there 
There's nobody up there who hasn't failed at something. Not one person. Sin is not what we're looking at. Please meditate on that. We keep looking for who did something wrong. Or why I'm failing. I did something wrong. You're looking in the wrong place. The blood of Jesus covers it. Not just once. Every single time. Forever. If all the days of my life were written before there were any of them, let me rest assured the blood of Jesus Christ also covered every one of those days before they were written, if I accept it. Amen? Are you all with me? And it's an eternal work of God here that we're talking about. Sin is not your issue. All right. As a matter of fact, it's often at that time that you can ask for more. Have you heard that one too? Lesson one. Sin will not stop you. Lesson two. If you believe lesson one, you can ask for more of God. Why be defeated? Why we go back to square one? Let's move the whole thing forward. Ask for more. His glory. Because now I'm asking for his kingdom to begin to rule in me. All right. <laughs> Numbers 14. This connects to the promised land. They send the 12 in. They come back with an evil report. We can't do it. There's giants over there. And it, yeah, it's a wonderful place. It's kind of like California. I think California is wonderful. I mean, it's got people in it, but that's, that's kind of a problem. But the place itself is great. I mean, y'all went to Kauai? Wonderful place. Yeah. Y'all went to, who, who went to Disneyland? Oh, yeah. Did you find your brother Goofy there? <laughs> that's well played there. <laughs> I'm going to humble myself under the mighty hand of God right now and move on. The promised land is like that stuff. It's a wonderful place. But we can't live there. Lake City. Love it. Why can't you live there? Well, you know, there's trouble there. There's just too much stuff. So... We're fixing to hit lesson number three. Without faith, you can't do this. Faith is the issue. It ain't sin. It's unbelief. That's the issue. Numbers 14, verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them. I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. God was willing, or at least he was acting like he was willing, to take the whole group and annihilate them and start all over with Moses. That's what he said. But Moses does the right thing. 
He's being like God. He's interceding for the people. And so he intercedes again. This has been his M.O. all through this period of time, and it works. And he's got it down. So he goes to intercession mode, asks God for that mercy. Let's just read them. Verse 17. Now I pray. Moses is praying. I'm praying. Let the power of my Lord be great. Just as if you've spoken, saying, and he is about to quote what he heard that day when God said, I'll show you my glory. He's going to quote God's word right back at him. This is pretty cool stuff. He says, you said this, God, that the Lord, verse 18, is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. So pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And God said, okay, I'll pardon according to your word. But truly as I live, the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. That's what Isaiah saw. Interesting, isn't it? Lesson number three, unbelief will be fatal. That will stop the train. And here's lesson number four. It's up to God to make that decision as to whether or not you've done that. I mean, Moses thought he had him going. He quoted the very same scripture that God gave him. I mean, the very same words. But he didn't quite understand about the part God said, I'm not going to clear the guilty. He missed that part. And God said, I'm going to show you what guilty looks like to me. It's not that you sinned. <coughs> For crying out loud, folks, we all sin. That's why Jesus had to come. Well, I'm going to quit sinning. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Has anybody had a day in their life where you could, you, you like, you'll swear before God you didn't sin? Anybody? I think so. Cool you off. Sin's not the issue. Unbelief is the issue. As we enter into where we are going, like we said at Sunday school, how many of you have run into what God told Joshua? Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. Do not fear. As you go into new things, that's exactly the way you're going to feel. All those things. What keeps you from stopping? What, what stops that for you? Faith. And what is faith? The evidence of things not seen. Not seen. I don't see it. Faith is always what I don't see right now. Always. So you have to step up to it. All right. And the result of the faith is God says, look, these guys' failure, they saw all the miracles that I did in Egypt and along the way. Their failure is actually going to result in more glory. That's an amazing thing. The whole earth is going to see my glory. Where a selected group of people were seeing it, he said, now the whole earth. Does that kind of sound like the New Testament with what Paul talked about the Jews? Their failure results in all of us getting to go in. And at the end, we will get to graft them back in. And the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. Failure is 
God's handiwork for more good stuff. Get your head off the sin thing. Let's move on into faith. Now, this is where Moses' psalm begins to take, make some sense. Because we know what happens to these guys after that, do we not? Forty years into the wilderness. Forty years. Let me just read that psalm to you one more time. Lord, make us glad according to the days in which you afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. How many years? Forty. He's about to witness this by his life experience. He wrote that psalm after it was all done. Man, I'm going to spend 40 years. I'm going to ask you, God, to redeem a 40-year miserable situation. How many of you have lived 40 years in a bunch of crap, and you'd like to be delivered from that? Amen? Some of you think, well, I, I ain't got enough time for 40 years. You'll get there. Just, just hang on. You'll get there. God can redeem a 40-year disaster. He can do it. And he says, and then make us glad. And he said, let your work appear to your servants. Okay? Let your work, in other words, the thing, God's acts, which produces joy, let that appear to your servants, God, and your glory to their children. I want to read you how this works out. Verse 21, truly as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. This is in Numbers of 14. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, who's going to see the glory of the Lord? My servant Caleb. My servant. My servant Joshua. Some made it through. Just two. They will see the glory of the Lord. I will bring him in. He's followed me fully. I will bring the land which he went, and his ascendants shall inherit. And on the Malachites and Canaanites dwell in the valley. And the way it goes. So here's what happened. Moses wrote that psalm. He said, all right, God, after 40 years of disaster, I'm asking you to do this one thing. Show your glory to the servants. There's only two. And the works of your hands, I'll actually flip that. Show your work. Show God that you redeemed things. And then let the glory of that be seen by all the, the generation of the sword generation. All the young people, let them see the glory of the Lord. Because two people believed. Think about that. You know how many people were in the temple praying for uh, God to, to send the Messiah? Two. Anna and Simeon. Two people. Two people daily in the temple praying that God would send the Messiah. Two people brought Jesus in. Two people brought a nation into the promised land. So, folks, what I'm saying here now is that you have more than two. In this church, you have several. You have a generation of people who have stood the test of time. They literally have. They have walked in faith. They have seen disaster. They've been wondering, God, how long will you ever redeem this situation? Will I ever see the promises that you gave me back 30 years ago? Will I? And the, the reason God is so pleased with them is because they have not quit. And because of their faith in God, you, the rest of you are going to see the glory of the Lord. If you enter in. If you enter in. So many of you are at a place right now where you got to, you're entering into a new part of life. And there's a lot of adversaries there right now. All the Ike brothers are there. Does it happen in the New Testament? You bet it does. 
Same exact thing. Look over Matthew 3. Matthew 3. I said earlier, what is the glory of the Lord? And it is when the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, invades a life, an event, a circumstance. When it comes, and we should be praying that it do, the glory of the Lord will be seen in some way. Look what the message should be. Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And here was his message, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was John's message. Isn't that amazing? He built an entire ministry on TBN with one message. That was a joke. Thank you. I can't use hand signals anymore. God has told me. (laughs) One message. The message is simple. The kingdom's coming. It's coming. And then there's this little corollary. What should you do? Repent. Folks, you should, you should be willing at this moment. You should be willing to repent. Now, I'm, I, you said, well, Larry, you said it wasn't about sin. It's not as long as you repent. If you're going to be stubborn and say, I'm going to do things my way, good luck. Because when the kingdom of God comes, like we said earlier, it is a cosmic catastrophe. When the kingdom of God comes into my life, something's changing. Guess what the first thing that's going to change is? Not my will, yours be done. See, they go together. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So when the kingdom comes, the first catastrophe in my life is I can't do what I want anymore. I have been bought. I've been purchased with a price. I am not my own. I belong to him. He is my God. He is my Lord. I'm not it anymore. A catastrophe has taken place. I can't do what I want. That's coming. Well, you can be a charismatic. (laughs) That was another chief one. You know, we can have anything we want, right? Not in this church. Matthew 4. Of course, we know that John the Baptist was simply the, the forerunner of Jesus. So what did Jesus have to say? Chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, this is after he gets back from the wilderness temptation. From that time, 17, Jesus began to preach. What did he preach? Same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is near. So there's your message. Okay, what about us? Look at chapter 10, Matthew 10. Here he's taking some of us, the apostles of this day. And it's not changed, by the way. He did it with 70. It's the same thing. Chapter 10. He, he, he picks out 12 guys and calls them 
his disciples and makes them apostles. Verse 5, these 12, Jesus sent out and commanded them, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter to the city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach. And what are they going to preach? Same thing. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Folks, that's the, that's the message. I love what Michael's been getting. This guy's been acting real prophetically here lately. Have you noticed? We are looking for the kingdom. We are going to be kingdom men. We're not going to be white men. We're not going to be black men. We're not going to be green women. Huh. Another cheap shot. Take that 10-year thing that's going on on Facebook and throw it away. It ain't about the way you look. It's about who you are. That's a cheap one. You know, seriously, let's get out of that crap. Pardon me. That's the kingdoms of this world. You didn't like that. I'm sorry. Repent. That's all I got for you. I mean, sometimes we've got to call out things that, that, are, that need to be changed, folks. Where are we going to start changing things? How about the here and now? So these guys go out to preach the kingdom. Now, we know that the glory of God is from the acts that he does. And so when they preach the kingdom, look what Jesus says for them to do. Do the kingdom. I want you to do the, preach it and then do the kingdom. Keep reading here, verse 8. Here's what you do when you preach the kingdom as a hand. Then here's the kingdom. Here's the cosmic catastrophe. Things are going to change. Heal the sick. That's a change. Cleanse the lepers. How about this next one? Raise the dead. Well, I can't do that. Nobody can do that except Jesus in you. He can do anything. Cast out demons. And we're not talking about marriage. We could be. That wasn't a cheap shot. That was reality. <laughs> right? She said, freely receive, freely give. So this is, the, this is the acts of the kingdom which bring glory to God. The kingdom is coming. Well, let's look at what Jesus did with all this. John chapter 9. And this is one of the scriptures that got me going back last August when I was in Yellowstone. And then got Paul Castaños when he came four or five months ago. This scripture. It's weird. He brought this up and said, man, we need to talk because this is the scripture I've been getting. John 9. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And here is the church right here. This is us. And we're going to, this is a, this is something that we have got to take ownership of and overcome this. His disciple asked him saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Folks, we are in a fault-finding era. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's over the top now. You can't even turn on TV without there being fault-finding. Why is it a disaster? Whose fault is it? Let's go find someone that we can blame and crucify him. We're so far off where we should be. And God wants to address it. And Jesus, I, 
Didn't we just learn what was lesson number one? It's not about your sin. It is not about sin. God has dealt with that with Jesus. Done. So Jesus answers him. Verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sin. And this is the reason that he's like this. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. How simple is that? Say, whoa, dude. Are you kidding me? And Jesus heals him. The kingdom of God was coming to this man. And you could go on and on and on about, how does that make sense? He was born blind for this purpose? Isn't that what it said? You mean everybody who's born blind is for that purpose? No. I didn't say that, did I? This man. Was this, this man, this day was a part of his Psalm 139 history before it was ever written. This was part of his Jeremiah 29:11 thing before he ever lived it. He was born for that purpose. Now, what we're going to do going forward is address every situation that people are in. Are you Hispanic? And you're trying to move from South America to the United States, why? Because it's lousy over there. Great. If, if, this is for the glory of God. This is about the kingdom of God. And that's a big if. If you're doing it because you don't like Guatemala, I don't care. Peter and Silas were singing one day. You know where they were at? Jail. How's it in jail? Folks, you gotta get a grip on this. Your circumstances should not be your Lord. You're missing it. If, you, if, if that's your logic, we're not gonna be able to talk. Now, if what you're doing is for the glory of God and the kingdom of God, I'm in it. And we have all got to be able to step up to that bar and say, I need to take a test. I need to, I need to have, be tested here. Is what I'm pushing for me or for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God? It is that simple. Did that go right over your heads? Same thing. For the glory of God. Wow. We all have, like I told these guys in California, folks, everybody's got a sad song. Life is a sad song. You know, the country western music lives off that. Someone done me wrong song. All my exes are in Texas. What else y'all sing? I don't listen to any of it. Jesus ain't the wheel. There's another one. I guess I know more than I thought I did. Everybody's got a problem. I wasn't born rich. I used to live in Minton before it was cool. Still not cool. So what is your problem? Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. You get it? Well, let's... How about the guy 
laying by the pool of Bethesda. We know this man's problem was not sin, right? Y'all remember the guy that was lame from his youth? I mean, from his birth as well? 38 years laying by the pool of Bethesda? Because the story was that the angel would come down and stir the waters, and the first one in the water would get healed. Jesus walks up to the guy. He says, would you be healed? Do you want to be healed? And the guy gives him the story, I can never be first in the, in, in the water. That's a bunch of bunk anyway. I am the Lord of heaven. You want to be healed? Or would you rather just live like you've been living? Life, you know, it ain't great, but you're making it. You got things going in a certain way, your way. You've used the circumstances of your life to get what you want. Now, your expectations may not be high, but it's what you want. So Jesus challenged that guy, heals him, and then comes back and says to him, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Isn't that interesting? We have one guy who was, it wasn't about sin, and Jesus healed him. We had another guy whose, whose situation was about sin, and Jesus healed him. To take sin off the, off the table unless you want it. Do you want to be downtrodden for the rest of your life? Do you? Do you want to always be the victim so that you can use that to get what you want? I hope you have ears to hear what I'm telling you. Amen. The kingdom of God is not like that. We are overcomers. Period. That guy's lived an entire life with one arm. You want, you want that one? Or can he turn that for the glory of God? Where everywhere he goes, I knew a one-armed guy. All he was doing was waving it to the glory of God. It can be a testimony. You get my point? Some things won't change, but you can change. You will change if you, if you see his glory. All right. John 11. Here's another one. Verse 1. A certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister said to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, here we go again. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified in it. Wow. And you know what? He waited four days. That guy was sick. Jesus deliberately waited four days so that he would die. No doubt about it. You read the story. He wanted him to die so that he could exhibit the glory of God in raising him from the dead. Someone's got to have that t-shirt. Y'all want to draw straws? So he did. Verse 39. Jesus comes and says, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, here we go, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Are you of the first generation that would not believe? Or are you of the generation that's just going to believe as you enter your promised land? 
just believe, you will see the glory of God. And so he prayed, God, I thank you that you always hear me when I pray. And he raised him from the dead. The kingdom of God is near. Well, one more. John. John 2. All these miracles that Jesus did are evidence of the glory of God. But they're not the only evidence, people. There's so many evidences out there. Let me tell you one of the evidence of the glory of God in, in everyday life. It's in your marriage. The fact that you don't kill one another. Yeah, I'm giving you a low bar here. The fact that you don't kill each other and you stay together is for the glory of God. There's something right about that. There's some overcoming that has to be done there. Agreed? Ladies, have you changed that man's stupid thinking ever? Ever. Ever. It ain't happening. But you stay. And I'm not going to say what men think about women. For the glory of God. And my own satisfaction. Chapter 2 of John. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. This is a lot of wine. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them with up to the brim. He said to them, Draw some of them out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn it knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. Look at verse 11. This beginning of signs... Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Let me tell you what. The first miracle, the first work that evidenced his glory was at a wedding. It was at a wedding. It was make the wedding right. That was the beginning of his signs. The word signs is Simeon. It means that it is a sign that portends future events. Future events. This is a simeon. It portends or it points to a future event. So the works of Christ on our, in our day is going to be bracketed by the same thing. A wedding. It started with a wedding. It'll end with a wedding. Ephesians 5, turn there real quickly. Jesus is busy right now and will be getting his bride ready. He is the bridegroom that brings the wine. The wine of the covenant. He's doing it now. And in chapter 5, I told you earlier that part of the glory of God is in your, is in your marriage. And here it is. Chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. And he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let their wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. 
just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might, verse 26, he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, so that he might present her to himself a glorious church. A church of glory, like he is. Our, his last great work, the finishing work, is to move upon the church, the bride, and produce his glory in her. So that when he comes back, she will be like him. The Bible says that in First John. When he comes, she will see him as he is because she will be like him. He is the Lord of glory. He is a, it, glory is the divine nature. He's going to place that divine nature in his bride so that she will be without blemish or spot or wrinkle. Now, let me just tell you something right now. We are not there. That's a no-brainer. We're not there. But we're going to get there. So I'm just I'm giving you a heads up. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. He's going there. So things need to change. And I want to go back to lesson number one. Let's get off this whole sin thing and find someone to blame. How about that one? Just let that thing marinate. Amen? Amen. Tonight at six, let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Oh, wow. That your word does not return to you void. Amen. I am asking you, God, you, you do this work. I, obviously, men cannot do it. But I'm a witness. I've seen you do it. I've seen you do these things in my life, Lord. You're awesome. And you can do it. And I know it's not finished. But I've seen you move. Move now on the body of Christ. You're obviously opening that door to us. Obviously. So every schism, everything that divides, everything that exalts flesh against the thing of God, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And I am calling to account those things. The kingdom of God is near. And Lord, I just pray that you will begin to move by your spirit and prepare your people to see their God and to see that as he is so that we will be changed. And I'll give you the glory for it. And let us now see the glory of it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Tonight at 6.